Welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from Brazil, India, and the United States. Also, once again, I have missed the anniversary of this podcast. It is now over two years old. Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you for listening. I'm going to start out this week talking about India, where a large amount of hate speech is being espoused very openly by members of the clergy. Uh, that is to say, monks and priests uh, who are Hindu are openly calling for the murder of millions of Muslims in India. Uh, and this kind of call and rhetoric reaches pretty far back in India's political history. Uh, specifically, these priests are talking about worries that India will become a Muslim nation, quote, again. Uh, this relates to India's relatively recent past, at least in historical terms, when prior to their colonization by the British, the Indian subcontinent was ruled by a monarchy uh, whose ruling members were Muslims. Uh, this is the Mughal Empire, uh, if you've uh, encountered that in your history education. Uh, these monks are espousing this particular brand of anti-Muslim ideology, which in part comes from an organization in India called the RSS, which is a far-right Hindu nationalist group uh, that emerged during and after World War II. The current ruling party of India, the party of the Prime Minister uh, Modi, uh, the BJP, emerged itself uh, from the RSS. A member of the RSS was also the assassin of Gandhi, the renowned nonviolent campaigner and someone who is recognized as, you know, sort of like the father of independent India. Now, we're going to have to wait to see exactly how these calls will play out or play a part in Indian politics, but for now, the BJP is refusing to acknowledge them. Turning to Brazil, Bolsonaro, the president of Brazil, is really trying to double down on his quasi-fascist demagoguery. Uh, he is trying to get the poor back on his side because he is worried about losing ground to the, well, extremely likely future president of Brazil, Lula de Silva, who is his uh, most dangerous opponent in the upcoming presidential election uh, later on this year. Bolsonaro is also pushing to change Brazil's gun laws to make it a lot easier for civilians to get firearms. Now, is this him, you know, pulling from the U.S. playbook, you know, trying to make it easier for his supporters to be armed? Or is he just like sort of a true believer in gun rights? Uh, we're going to have to see. Turning to the United States, we got a lot of stuff. And as ever, it's still about the aftermath of last year's attempted coup. Uh, the news this week is that the Republican National Committee, which is the organization that is technically in charge of the Republican Party, has formally censured Liz Cheney and a representative from Illinois, Kinzinger. Now, these are both members of the Republican Party. They are congresspersons elected to the United States Congress in the Republican Party, and they've been censured by their own party because... Well, they are the two Republicans who have participated in the January 6th Select Committee, uh, and they've been censured for their participation in it. This indicates that the Republican Party, at, you know, in its fully official capacity, is completely doubled down on the coup. They think that investigation of it is illegitimate, and they think that questioning the motives of Donald Trump and his allies at that time are not acceptable in the party anymore. This means that Republican realignment has 
been completed, essentially. Uh, they are a party that supports the coup. This is further evidenced by the fact that this same meeting of the Republican National Committee that censured Cheney and Kinzinger uh, said that the coup was legitimate. Uh, the quote that you might have heard was that the coup was, quote, legitimate political discourse. What they mean by that is that the Republican Party should not be investigating people who were invading the Capitol building, armed, uh, trying to kidnap or possibly kill members of Congress or the vice president, who, again, is a Republican. Um, so, yeah, that that's it. Uh, realignment is over. The GOP is now fully a party that supports the coup. Uh, that thinks that it shouldn't be investigated, uh, that thinks that it was a legitimate form of political strategy. Uh, you know, their quote is discourse. Uh, and they think that the coup was fine. And this means that, you know, we can't be surprised when they try to do it again. Continuing on the subject of the January 6th committee, you know, I've been talking a lot in this podcast, and many people have been talking a lot about how if the Republicans win in Congress, you know, if they win the midterm elections this fall, and take back the House of Representatives, that, that the January 6th committee will probably disappear. And that is still pretty likely. Uh, however, uh, we now know uh, from some leaked memos uh, from Raw Story that there are some members of the Republican Party in Congress who want to keep this committee around, um, but not in a way that contradicts the thing that I just said about how now the Republican Party fully supports the coup. And you should know this by the people who are talking about keeping the committee around. Uh, specifically, these are Representative Biggs and Representative Madison Cawthorn, both of which are really staunch Trump allies, like super far-right members of Congress. And they're talking about keeping the committee around, not because they want to keep investigating the coup, but because they want to turn it around on the Democrats. Uh, they want to turn it into a body that could investigate what they claim is Democratic participation in the invasion of the Capitol building. You know, they're saying like, well, we could just use this committee to investigate things like, you know, their false claims that Nancy Pelosi knew about this invasion of the Capitol building and like, let it happen. I guess, despite the fact that, you know, some of the people who invaded the Capitol building went into her office and, like, messed it up and took stuff from in there. Like, mm, it's kind of confusing. This is also in keeping with a long-standing, you know, for the last year claim by many Republicans that the invasion of the building itself was a false flag operation. That is, that some entity other than the people who were obviously participating, like the fascist wing of the Republican Party, uh, that somebody other than those people uh, was the was actually responsible. Usually they lay this on the FBI, and that's exactly what this memo is suggesting. You know, they're saying that we should we should investigate whether or not there were FBI operatives there in the crowd, you know, goading people on. The contradictory nature of this is precisely the point. You know, uh, they're both saying that the coup was fully legitimate and that any Republicans who participated in it were just citizens exercising their political rights. And they're claiming that it was a false flag and that anything that was wrong with it or creepy about it or disturbing about it or violent about it was not real. Uh, and that that was something that the Democrats planted in the government um, or that the FBI did you know, uh, in order to goad people or to take over the country or to subvert politics somehow. 
know exactly what they'll do with the committee if and when the Republicans take control of Congress again. Again, we're just going to have to wait until next year. Continuing on with news about the United States, Peter Thiel, the extreme right-wing billionaire who has been one of the Republican Party's closest allies, especially after its realignment alongside Donald Trump, is leaving a lot of his uh, corporate roles in Silicon Valley. Specifically, he is leaving the board of Facebook Meta and is doubling down on his role as a political operative and a fundraiser for the Republican Party. Uh, He is apparently leaving these roles in order to spend more time helping the Republicans take back Congress. And finally, in the United States, we now know for sure that Donald Trump saw the drafted executive orders, which I talked about last week and for several weeks now, uh, drafted executive orders about potentially enabling the military to seize voting machines and other voting records in several states, which he contests the election results of. So we're talking, you know, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, places like that. This means that he knew about the plan as a possibility, uh, but that he apparently didn't go through with it. Uh, That means we just have to like wonder why, uh, considering that he did eventually, you know, try to engage in a violent coup attempt Um, that might have resulted in the death or at least the injury of his own vice president. Uh, So why didn't he go through with this earlier plan? Um, Unfortunately, we just don't have the sources uh, to enable us to know the answer to that question. And if the January 6th committee is shut down or transformed into a sort of kangaroo court against the Democrats, we might not know for some time. We also know that Trump specifically looked at that, you know, he reviewed personally, another executive order, which would have appointed a special investigator to look at uh, his claims that the election was being rigged or uh, intervened in by foreign sources. Uh, Again, this is also something that the Department of Justice had already investigated and determined was false. Um, But his claims that, you know, it was true and that the election was being stolen from him is a big part of his campaign, uh, especially into the, you know, well, after the election, his campaign after the election, after he had already lost. Going to close out this week, as I do every week, with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. Uh, This week, we got a twofer. We got two important right-wing figures who have died this week in history. One of them is Miklos Horthy, and the other one is Joseph Mengele. Miklos Horthy was the leader of Hungary during World War II. He was born in Austria-Hungary, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, in 1868, and was a part of that country's navy. Uh, There's often a joke about him being an admiral in Hungary, a country that is completely landlocked, but this is because he was an admiral in Austria-Hungary, which had an extensive Mediterranean coastline uh, consisting of, well, you know, Croatia and also parts of what are now Italy. Uh, He was a participant in World War I as an admiral in the Austro-Hungarian Navy and became the leader of Hungary after joining a lot of and leading a lot of uh, right-wing nationalist conservative organizations after the fall of the Austro-Hungarian Empire after World War I. He became Hungary's leader after the war and was its leader throughout World War II. Uh, He himself was not quite a fascist. Um, He actually specifically banned both the communist and the fascist parties in Hungary, the fascist party in Hungary being the Iron Cross movement. Uh, 
however, he was a collaborator with Nazi Germany. He was allied with the Nazis. Uh, Hungary was a part of the Axis. They participated in the Axis invasion of the Soviet Union. And he also oversaw Hungary's participation in the Holocaust, uh, which involved uh, handing over some half a million Jewish people uh, in Hungary to Germany, uh, the majority of whom went to Auschwitz uh, to be uh, either worked to death or to be uh, intentionally murdered. Horthy did appear before various military tribunals and other forms of trial after the war. Uh, and for his collaboration with those trials, you know, he talked to them, he named names, he did stuff like that. Uh, and because of his prominence and his relative popularity in Hungary, uh, he was allowed to seek exile, uh, permanent exile in Portugal, where he lived out the rest of his life, uh, writing sort of like apologetic biographies, you know, talking about, you know, giving his life for his country, you know, trying to justify the crimes that he had committed. And he died there in Portugal this week in history, the 9th of February, 1957. Joseph Mengele also has a storied history specifically related to Auschwitz. Mengele was born in Bavaria, in what was then the German Empire, in 1911, and was a doctor, uh, an anthropologist and a medical doctor, and is specifically famous for his experiments uh, conducted on prisoners. Mengele joined the Nazi party in 1937, and then shortly thereafter joined the SS, making him an obvious true believer, you know, somebody who really believed in the Nazi ideology. He was then appointed as a doctor at Auschwitz and used this posting as an opportunity to study on live human subjects. Uh, he was particularly interested in studying people who had um, identical twins in an attempt to engage in investigations of uh, the Nazis' cruel and disgusting ideas of um, genetic inheritance and um, eugenicism. He performed unanesthetized surgeries, um, many of which are too disgusting to be discussed in any podcast, uh, and performed unnecessary drug treatments, unnecessary abortions, unnecessary surgical uh, procedures of many kinds. After the war, he fled to South America, first to Buenos Aires, then to Paraguay, then to Brazil, uh, traveling back to Germany occasionally uh, for medical treatment and to see family. He was pursued by the Mossad, uh, which is Israel's um, secret intelligence organization, which found Adolf Eichmann in Argentina. But the Mossad failed to find him, which means that unfortunately, Joseph Mengele died naturally rather than seeing justice for his crimes. He died of a stroke while swimming and drowned this week in history, the 7th of February, 1979. Although because he died under his assumed Brazilian identity, it took until 1992 until it was formally known that it was him and that he had been hiding there. So, uh, Horthy and Mengele, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please tell friends, family, and comrades about it. Leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's all one word and spelled out. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right. And you can also email me 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. Again, that's uh, all spelled out, all one word. All right. I will talk to you next week.